Good afternoon, Forrester and Will speaking. Hi Will, this is Sharon from Leaf Supplies here. How are you today? I'm all right, thanks. Yeah, How can I help you? I'm just following up on the invoice we sent over this morning for the last shipment. I wanted to check that you got it okay because we've updated some of our details. All right, yeah, hold on. Uh, it's been really busy this morning. Let me just check my emails. Yeah, I've got it here. Okay, so you can see that we've changed our main business bank account there. You should have a new account number on the invoice ending in 1234. Yeah, I see it. Perfect, that's great. It's been a bit of a pain to change it. We've had some teething problems. You see, we had an invoice last week that we thought hadn't been fulfilled, but the company had sent the money to the old account. So as far as they were concerned, it was paid. We'd had to chase up the transaction with them and then chase it up with the bank, and it was an absolute nightmare. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, it's always the things you think are going to be the most simple that turn out to be the most complicated, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Tell me about it. Anyway, I was um, wondering if you would mind settling up the invoice just now so I can check it comes through on this side, okay? Tessa's off and she's asked me to sort it before she got back and I don't want to uh, leave her with a pile of work. Oh, oh I hope she's not too poorly. Um, I usually deal directly with her though. Yeah, I know. She's not very well. It's nothing serious, but bad enough to stay at home. And she's a bit of a workaholic, so that's saying something. Uh, luckily, I was here last week when we had the other issue. So I'm an old hand at this now. I want to take the lead this time so she doesn't have to deal with it when she gets back. Yeah, of course. Uh, I'll take a look now. Terrific. Uh, invoice number in the reference as well, so I can see it pop up here. I'm all logged on into the new account. Yeah, give me a second. There we go. Should be with you now. Hang on. There it is. Fantastic. I've got a few more invoices for you now that we know that that's worked okay. I'll whiz them over to you, and if you can get them to me today, that would be great. I'll have cleared all of Tessa's injury, and I can tell her so when she tries to tell me she's already better tomorrow. Yeah, of course. Uh, nice talking to you, Sharon. Give give Tessa my best. Will do. Hello and welcome to our What Is Possible podcast series. I'm your host, Nazreen Bizram, Head of Charities at Barclays. And it will come as no surprise that on today's podcast, we're going to be discussing cyber fraud. We all know cyber fraud is a massive risk for businesses today, with scams that range from the simple to the sophisticated and a host of ways to get caught out. But hearing it for yourself is quite different. Calls like the one you just heard can happen to any business, large or small. So how do businesses today form an effective defensive strategy against fraud? How do you stop sophisticated scams that look like real business transactions? What are the key factors that help companies avoid all fraud traps from simple mistakes to complex social engineering? Well, to help us answer these questions and more, I'm delighted today to be joined by two guests, independent cybersecurity expert, Jane Franklin, and Chris Dunman from Barclays, who upskills our clients in fraud awareness and resilience. Jane, Chris, thank you for being here today. So look, most employees know not to click on suspicious links and emails or respond to badly spelled emails, but fraud attempts have become much more sophisticated than that. As that phone call illustrated, can you tell us what kind of attacks businesses face today? And, and Jane, could I come to you for this question? 
Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Naz. So cyber attacks on organizations are commonplace and they can have a massive impact on a business, its customers, partners, and employees. And right now we're seeing 375 cyber threats being discovered every single minute. And the predicted cost of cybercrime to the world is over 11 million US dollars per minute. So when it comes to cyber attacks, we're seeing three popular ones rising in frequency, sophistication, and severity. And the first one is ransomware. And this is a form of malware that remotely infects computers, encrypts data, and locks out users. And cybercriminals then demand a ransom, often in the form of Bitcoin, to unlock them and return the data they hold. Now, this type of attack has surged by 40% during the COVID-19 pandemic. And although it impacts businesses of all sizes and in all sectors, we're seeing cybercriminals targeting public sector services like hospitals, schools, universities, and utility companies the most. And the thing is here is they know that they can do this quite easily because these types of companies have less skilled cybersecurity staff, complex or legacy IT systems to manage and are therefore weaker. And then the second type of attack that's increasing is the supply chain attack. And this is where attackers focus their efforts on a vendor so that they can gain access to all of the vendor's customers. And right now, close to 40% of security breaches at UK organizations are targeting weak links in the supply chain. Now, some of your listeners may have heard about the SolarWinds breach, which happened in December. And this was where threat actors gained access to over 300,000 organizations, including governments around the world, and were able to compromise the update process of a widely used piece of SolarWinds software. And to date, this has affected about 18,000 organizations and will cost billions. So seeing attackers move upstream is incredibly worrying, especially as they're now targeting open source components directly. And again, in the past year, what we've seen, we've seen a 430% increase in attacks in open source software. And um, because it relies on trust and is publicly accessible to anyone who wants to see, modify, and distribute the code as they see fit, it is really hard to determine who's there to do good or who's there to do bad. And then the third type of attack that is the most popular is phishing. And this is a particular form of social engineering, and it's where fraudsters pose as a trusted source and use email or malicious websites to gain the information they want. And during the the first six months of the COVID-19 pandemic, HMRC said that they detected a 73% rise in email phishing attacks. And other companies out there were saying they too seen it, it rise. But some of those were saying that they'd seen it rise to a staggering 220%. Now, I think it's really worth pointing out that a lot of people expect to be targeted by fraudsters over the phone, online, by email, or by text. And and this is what makes phone calls like the one we just had right at the very beginning so utterly convincing. Because when scammers gather information from the internet about where you work or who you work with or what your interests are or who your friends and family are or who your partners are or suppliers are or who you bank with or 
anything to do with HMRC, they can sound so believable when they pose as one of those legitimate sources. And fraud is increasing and it is becoming so much more sophisticated. And what we're also seeing now is that our fraudsters, they're becoming more careful and crafting their messages so much better. And we're seeing them use deep fake technologies to create fake video and audio recordings that either look like they're from trusted brands or government agencies or senior executives within an organization like the CFO or CEO. And certainly in the midst of a global pandemic, which is where we are now, fraudsters are using this and they're exploiting where we are now, certainly COVID-19 themed activities and, and the needs like healthcare or education and jobs. And they are literally preying on our human vulnerability. Wow, Jane, those are really stark figures that you shared. Coming back to that very convincing conversation, you know, really did underline that human vulnerability is a huge factor here. So, Chris, perhaps you could share your perspective on the importance of thinking about fraud on an individual level? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Naz. Um, it's always important to bear in mind the individuals within the companies. Whatever pressures that individual feels, uh, that is going to make them susceptible to these fraudulent advances, whether it's uh, an email, whether it's a phone call, whatever it is. So what I try and teach people is, you know, don't react immediately. Prioritize what you're doing. Think about what you're doing. Just because someone's on the end of the phone throwing convincers at your left, right and center doesn't mean to say you've got to act on it straight off. It's a question of always thinking, what if, what if, what if? Often I see that the senior members of businesses are quite clued up. Yep, we know what's going on. But where's the kind of empowering the individual to look at that policy and say, do you know what? It's not important to get that payment out today. Make those checks because we know from the behaviors that fraudsters undertake, we know it's going to be on a Friday at the last day of the month, 20 minutes before cutoff time. And I've had clients crying in front of me physically simply because they've been caught out at those times. Law firms will think about this all the time. It's too close to the deadline. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? So there are controls there that people can put in place. Some law firms have even said to me, we don't accept changes of account details 24 hours beforehand, before a deal is due to go through for sale of a house or something like that. So what are they doing? They're taking away those pressures that the people making actually making the payments uh, could be under. Thank you, Chris. So what are fraudsters trying to achieve? And I'm happy to open up to Jane at this point. I mean, Jane, you know, what is the end game here? So it's typically that they want the money, they follow the money trail, but it's not always that, you know, they might be looking for your IP, your intelligence, you know, so when it comes to attacks, we see attacks from cyber criminals, we see them from state sponsored attackers, and we also see them from hacktivists. So some who just want to lobby their protests. Chris, is there anything you want to add here at this point? I would say that motivation outside of uh, those elements that Jane just mentioned, state-sponsored attackers and so on and so forth. Uh, it, it, you never know from an individual perspective, who knows what the motivation is? State-sponsored, grievance, hacktivists, who knows what has got up somebody's nose? Bottom line is, it's cash mm. or obtaining information. That's why they go to the extremes. And that's why when people are making payments, when they're in charge of making payments, whether they're inputting, authorizing, 
or whether they're CEOs or in that kind of management standpoint, they've got to be aware of the funds leaving the accounts. Absolutely. Let's think about now what steps can businesses and the individuals within those businesses take to defend themselves against these evolving broad threats? Because let's face it, this is an issue that's not going to go away and it's a growing issue as well. So Chris, from your experience in terms of supporting clients, what are the most you know important practical takeaways? Well, I think one practical takeaway, Barclays uh, introduced a couple of years ago, and many other companies tell me they've done the same thing. I think the phishing control within email communications is excellent. What it does is if I've got my email inbox set up where I've got a preview of the email, first and foremost, I'm deciding before I've even clicked it to say, am I going to click it? Am I, is this worth reading? Is this fraudulent? Many companies will have it already, but those that don't find it very interesting. It also gives you a little outlet valve. Rather than thinking, I've got to deal with it now. I've got to deal with it now. I've got to deal with it now. Do you know what? If you're under pressure, I click on my little fish me button and I'm just going to give myself that half an hour break to make a cup of tea, deal with the kids, whatever I need to do. And it's just building in thinking time. If you're thinking about fraud, that's going to be popping into your head to thinking, what if, what if, what if? I'm going to check this. So rather than respond to an email straight away, and we've all done it, and we've all thought, ah, why did I respond to that? We've all done it. Build yourself in time. Give yourself something to do. Do you know, if you want to walk around the garden with a cup of coffee, always the best way. Don't react to things. Don't give yourself or put yourself in a knee-jerk reaction uh, situation. Brilliant, um, Chris. I think I, I took away the key message there. Verbal checks, verbal checks, verbal checks. And, you know, we've seen how opportunistic fraudsters are and, it, and it's growing area and more and more companies and people are being caught off guard. So, what can businesses do to protect themselves from the next threat, Jane? Yeah, well, as 95% of security breaches originate from human error, and we've got a, a new workforce working remotely, what we found is that few of the remote workforce, I think it's something like two thirds of the UK's newly remote workforce have said that they've never been given any cybersecurity training. So it absolutely makes sense to get that training right. But the other thing that we can do is we can do uh, basic cyber hygiene. So that's things like patching, updating user systems regularly, encouraging the use of multi-factor authentication. So if we do all of those things, that is going to literally prevent 80% of incidents occurring. We are seeing a lot of companies move to the cloud simply because we're all working remotely. And when an organization does this, it's not only the most cost-effective and fastest way to modernize its business, but when it's done correctly, it's actually the most secure. But I have to stress here, this is only when security is baked in at the start and when an organization understands that their cloud service providers' default settings aren't typically adequate. The other thing that we have to do is we have to really make our workforce feel safe. We have to equip them with this training, but we also have to make them feel safe enough to come to us if something happens and then make sure that you are prepared for when you discover or when an incident happens that you can actually have the playbooks in place and actually deal with it in a professional and, and timely manner so that the impact is, is lower. 
Yeah, we need to ensure that all of our workforce is as comfortable as they possibly can. That's going to increase costs. It's going to increase time. It's going to increase turnaround. But I don't think there's a way around it these days. We've got to take these things into account if we don't want millions of pounds to be disappearing left, right and centre. I think you're right, Chris. I think that investment is a long-term gain, actually. So totally agree with all the points that you've both raised. So thank you both for that really interesting discussion. Now let's take a listen to how Forest Firm could have protected itself if it actually used Chris and Jane's great advice. I wonder if you would mind settling up the invoice just now so I can check that it comes through on our side. Tessa's off and she's asked me to sort it out before she gets back. Oh, I hope she's not too poorly. I usually deal directly with her. Yeah, I know. She's not very well. It's nothing serious, but she's bad enough to stay at home and that woman's a workaholic. But I was here last week when the other issue happened, so I'm an old hand at this now. I want to take the lead and have it all sorted before she gets back. Yeah, of course, I understand. But as I normally deal with Tessa, I'd prefer to deal with her directly. Of course, of course, but there's just no telling when she'll, how long she'll be out for. Yeah, OK. Um, well, as you know, I've two points of contact at leave for verification. So what I'll do is I'll hang up and I'll call my second contact directly. OK, but... Chris and Jane, thank you very much for sharing your insights with us today. More than welcome. Thank you for your time. Thanks, Naz. Thank you all for joining us. If there are any areas that we discussed today that you'd like more information on, please contact your relationship director in the first instance or visit our website for more insight. 